Good to see you all here, and for those of us joining online, good to have you here with us as well. Uh, my name's Ludo, as Dan said, um, and I'm going to be continuing our series today that we started last week, that Dan kicked off for us last week, uh, based on the Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, uh, in the sort of lead up to Christmas in the, over the Advent weeks. Um, and yeah, this, this Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, uh, as we saw last week already, is packed with biblical truth. And so what we're doing is we're kind of taking uh, one of those truths reflected in the lyrics uh, each week and going back to the Bible to uh, yeah, explore those truths deeper and uh, unpack what they mean for us. Uh, and our springboard for today uh, is this verse from the second, sorry, this lyric from the second verse of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, uh, which says, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. And so year in, year out, uh, we sing these words around Christmas. Um, it's one of my favorite carols, so we yeah, tend to sing it a lot around this time of year. But I'm not sure how often you stop to consider the enormity and actually the strangeness of some of the things being said here, being uh, kind of claimed in this lyric. Uh, for starters, the lyric equates Jesus with God. It calls Jesus uh, a deity. And if that's true, then it has pretty huge implications that we need to think about. Uh, and not only that, it says that he is the incarnate deity. Incarnate means having human form, having real flesh and blood. <clears throat> and yeah, that, um, that kind of language seems odd to use to describe a deity. Often when we think about uh, spiritual things, we're thinking about things happening in some other spiritual realm, we're thinking about uh, things happening outside of time and space, um, the spiritual things kind of transcend our physical existence. But the Bible uses uh, the word incarnate, it uses the word flesh uh, about God. It speaks clearly about God entering into uh, humanity, entering into our physical world. And that's referred to as the incarnation. So for Christmas, uh, the, the line between, sorry, for, for Christians rather, the line between uh, spiritual and physical is uh, far more blurred than it is in many other worldviews. The spiritual and the physical aren't separate concepts, but they flow into one another. And all of that brings up a lot of questions. Is Jesus really God? How do we know that? And if he is, why would a perfect God uh, in need of nothing willingly decide to uh, come and enter into the mess of being human? And if he is God, can he even really be fully human? Uh, and does that actually make any difference in my life? They're all really uh, great questions uh, which we're going to be th thinking about this morning. And to do that, we're going to focus on two, uh, two passages from the Bible. The first one is John 1.14, which says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Father, sorry, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And the second verse is uh, from Philippians. Get it up here. Uh, Philippians 2, verses 3 to 11, which says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, 
but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord, thank you uh, so much for these powerful words. We thank you for this profound uh, mystery of you coming into our world, you becoming human. And we pray, God, for your help in understanding these mysteries and what they mean for us today. Amen. So a few years ago, um, my wife Jess and I went to uh, Istanbul in Turkey. We visited, uh, visited there for a few days, and I absolutely loved it. It's a fascinating city. And one of the things that we did there is um, visited a couple of mosques. <clears throat> uh, and at one point, we walked into a big, uh, big mosque, and there was a Muslim evangelist, I guess, uh, striking up conversations with tourists uh, who were checking out the mosque. Uh, and at some point, he came over to me and asked me uh, if I believed in God. He was, well, he was handing out Qurans, and I took a Dutch copy, because uh, that was the only, he didn't have any English ones left. And he asked, do you believe in God? And I said, yes, I'm a Christian, uh, which yeah, resulted in a really uh, interesting and great conversation. Uh, and his approach with me in, I guess, trying to convince me of, of Islam was to talk about all the ways in which um, in the Muslim faith, Jesus is honored. Uh, so he said things like, you know, Jesus is seen as a prophet of God. He was, uh, they believe he was born, born of the Virgin Mary. They believe he will come again at the final judgment. Uh, so yeah, quite a few things that Christians believe as well. And I think uh, what he was getting at was that it wouldn't be such a big leap for me to become a Muslim. But there was one hugely significant difference between our views of Jesus. And that is that uh, he didn't believe Jesus was God. At some point in the conversation, he asked me, uh, or I said to him rather, that I believed uh, Jesus is God. Uh, and that's where the conversation got very interesting, but I'll get, uh, get back into that a little more later. The Bible says very clearly that uh, the Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas is God. It says that uh, he is not just a little bit like God or some kind of slightly lesser sub-God, but no, he is fully God. Uh, for example, John 1.14, which we read before, says that the word became flesh. And right at the beginning of John 1, uh, we find that the word is God. It says in the first three verses, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. And so in these verses, God's word is written about as a person. 
And it's undeniable, even though these verses, uh, the verses at the start of one, uh, John 1 are kind of mysterious, uh, it's undeniable that he is talking about the word as a person, as someone. Uh, and in the rest of chapter 1, it becomes clear that uh, the word is God uh, and that the word uh, who is God is also Jesus, the one who's full of grace and truth. Or in the Philippians 2 passage that we read, uh, we also see clearly that Jesus is God there. Uh, The Apostle Paul wrote there that Jesus was in the form of God, but that he did not count equality with God something to be grasped. The NIV translation, uh, which I understand is a slightly better translation of the original in this particular case, uh, says that Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Or sorry, something to be used to his own advantage. And so what Paul's saying here is not merely that Jesus had the appearance of God, which is what you might think when you hear the word form, in the form of God. Uh, But he's actually saying that Jesus has the true and full nature of God. He has all of the qualities of God. And he's saying Jesus is equal to God, but he didn't consider that equality something to be exploited for his own benefit. So Jesus is God. Jesus is divine. And maybe at this point, uh, you're asking yourself, how can Jesus be God when in other parts of the Bible, Jesus prays to God or he's referred to as the son of God? Another uh, great question. Is that an inconsistency in the Bible? Well, once again, uh, the, 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 the word, so John 1, which we looked at before, shows us that uh, scripture very consciously holds these two things together. John 1 1 says, the word was with God and the word was God. So what does that mean? I think uh, what that clearly shows us is that God consists of more than one person. And that's uh, one of the key building blocks of a theology of the Trinity, which we could do an entire preaching series about. So we won't uh, really get into detail on that right now. But the crux of it is that uh, God is one God in three persons. God the Son, God the, uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And they are all fully God, and they have all uh, always been there, always existed. And that, is means, that means that there's always been interpersonal relationship uh, within God. So the deeper we dig into some of these verses, uh, the richer our understanding of Jesus as God becomes. Not only can we say uh, Jesus is God, but we can also say he has always been God and he has always been in perfect relationship with his Father and with his Holy Spirit. If you're uh, not a believer in Jesus, uh, or or you are, uh, sorry. So we've we've seen clearly that Jesus is God, uh, but why does that matter? What are the implications of that? Uh, Some people would say that the divinity of Jesus is not particularly significant. Uh, But I would say it's extremely significant. Jesus being God is an essential part of the gospel. It's essential for our salvation. Why? Because only God can save us. Only a perfect God uh, could pay the price for the sin of the world. That requires a perfect sacrifice. And only our perfect God can offer that. 
So Jesus' divinity matters because it means that the gospel is effective. It truly has the power to save us. And that is wonderful news for us. Another implication uh, of Jesus being God is that uh, we can see the character and attributes of God through Jesus. So we can see what God is like uh, through him revealing himself to us in Jesus. John 1.14 says that we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So the relationship between uh, God, the, God the father and God the son uh, is, uh, is one of father and son, which means that uh, the son has all the attributes of the father. When we see Jesus, we see God. And if we know what Jesus is like, we know what God the Father is like. So if you ever find yourself uh, thinking about God as a distant or impersonal being, look to Jesus in the scriptures and look at how much love and compassion he had for those around him. Healing diseases and feeding the hungry uh, throughout the gospels. Or look at his humility in our Philippians 2 passage taking on the nature of a servant and becoming obedient to death for us. Look at his uh, passion for truth and his heart of mercy and remember that that's what God is like. That's the full image and expression of the Father. So he's not uh, distant and impersonal at all. A third implication of Jesus being God is that we have to respond to him. You've got to do something with this information. If you're not a believer in Jesus, uh, or perhaps you are, but you've always thought of Jesus as a a good moral teacher or something along those lines, um, I think you really need to wrestle with what the Bible says about Jesus and what Jesus claims about himself, that, that he is God. Because if he is God, then the only right response to him is to fall down at his feet in worship the only right response is to fully submit every part of your life to him. And also for those of us who do already believe that Jesus is God, continuing to live out that response of worship and submission uh, is definitely not an automatic thing. It's an ongoing journey of transformation. The passage in Philippians 2 that we read earlier uh, talks uh, talks about that, saying that we should have the mind of Christ. So as a result of submitting our lives to Christ, uh, we are continually being transformed. We ought to be continually transformed uh, to be more like Jesus and to have the mind of Christ. Uh, And that means we'll have the humility of Christ in being a servant to others and in considering their interests above our own. Tim Keller says about this passage that for Jesus, this selflessness, this kind of ability to really love others and serve others the way that he did and look to the interests of others flows from already being in perfect love within the Trinity. God didn't create us to meet a sort of a love need, but he created us out of the overflow of love that he already has within himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. So he created us and loves us uh, out, of, out of that place uh, of already uh, being in perfect love and relationship. So having the mind of Christ for us means that we should have that mind in how we relate to others as well. 
we are loved uh, so very much by God. And so we can stand secure and at peace knowing that. And so when we relate to others, we can be doing that uh, not primarily to meet a need for ourselves, but to be genuinely loving and serving them out of the overflow of God's love for us. That's uh, an implication of Jesus being God in Trinity. In our response to Jesus, uh, I would encourage you to, to keep praying to him for this mind in yourself and praying for such a tangible sense of God's love uh, in you that you can't help but let that uh, overflow to uh, love and serve others selflessly. Now, uh, the other side of the coin is, of course, that Jesus is human. John 1.14 says uh, that Jesus became flesh. He's never stopped being God, uh, but he did also become fully human, flesh and bones. That is the incarnation that we're celebrating at Christmas. Or the Philippians 2 passage again says uh, that he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. So he humbled himself uh, by completely taking on human nature. And like I was saying before, we often are inclined to not let uh, the physical and the spiritual uh, worlds intersect. We see them as separate things. Uh, quite a few religions and philosophies see it that way. Uh, and they, so they see the physical world as messy and impure and something that God couldn't possibly inhabit. Uh, God must be separate from that. I want to take you back to uh, that conversation I had with the uh, Muslim evangelist in Turkey. Like I said, at some point uh, in the conversation, I said I believed that Jesus is God, and that was the kind of critical point of difference in our views of Jesus. Uh, and in response to that, he reasoned through with me why he thought that wasn't possible. And his reasoning was uh, that Jesus was a man, so Jesus ate. And if Jesus ate, uh, he would have had to go to the toilet. And so Jesus couldn't possibly be God because God wouldn't do such a filthy thing. Uh, and he delivered it like it was, you know, this kind of slam dunk watertight argument. And I thought to myself, how interesting that obviously in his worldview, uh, being human and even the aspects of being human that are not connected to sin or corruption uh, is inherently dirty and impure and not something that God would be willing to inhabit. But to the God of the Bible, the physical world matters. There's not such a distinct line between physical and spiritual. God created the heavens and earth and all of mankind, and that is the creation that he loves and is redeeming. And the physical uh, world is not impure, and physical bodies are also not impure. They're not uh, sort of evil or dirty prisons for our souls. No, our bodies are part of God's good design, part of his creation. Uh, and yes, we see that the world um, we inhabit, and we ourselves as well, have been corrupted by sin. But at its root, the creation is good. And God is redeeming uh, and renewing it to make it good once again, like it was at the beginning. So why does it matter that Jesus is fully human? Well, firstly, uh, being human, Jesus being human means that he 
understands you and everything that you go through and sympathizes with your struggles. Hebrews 4.15 says that uh, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So he knows and understands what you're going through. He knows what it's like to be exhausted. He knows what it's like to be distressed, to be sad and to weep. He knows what it's like to be uh, tempted to sin. He understands deeply what it is to be human. And so he knows and understands you. Secondly, uh, and related to that first one as well, is that Jesus' humanity means that we have the incredible privilege of being able to look to him as our friend. Jesus uh, is Lord and Savior, of course. He's our king to be worshipped and adored. Uh, But in John 15, he also calls us his friends. And he illustrates the depth of that sentiment when he says, uh, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So in uh, laying down his life for us, he displays the depth of his heart of friendship for his people. I've sometimes heard people express the sentiment, Jesus is not our friend, he is our Lord. Uh, And I, I understand the heart behind that, not wanting to take away from the glory of God, but actually both are true. Jesus is our friend while also being our Lord and King. And I actually think that magnifies his glory because it shows us uh, the richness of his grace. I wonder if you find it hard to hold those two ideas together of Jesus uh, as sovereign Lord and Jesus as friend. I mean, it wouldn't be surprising uh, because obviously none of our other relationships are quite like this. Uh, But I wonder whether you struggle with that concept or whether you feel that you learn, uh, sorry, lean more towards one of those than the other. I know that for myself, I go more naturally towards relating to Jesus as Lord rather than as friend. And so sometimes when I'm praying, I need to uh, remind myself of, I need to be, be reminded of that. Uh, I remember one moment when I realized that quite powerfully. Um, in my previous job before the one I have now, um, I was working as a consultant and I worked uh, on one particular project that was quite frankly, uh, it was horrible. It was uh, the most stressed I've, the most stressful three months I've had uh, in my working life so far uh, in seven years of doing consulting. Um, Basically, it's a a long story, but in a nutshell, um, I was kind of working in an environment that was very hostile towards me and my colleagues. Uh, We're dealing with a client with a a culture that was really kind of toxic uh, in terms of backstabbing and manipulation, and that was really uh, interpersonally sort of political in a negative sense. And it really affected me. You know, on my way to this client for client meetings, I would be sitting in the car getting totally stressed out for what was to come. Uh, Yeah, I I didn't really have that on other projects in those seven years, but for these three months, that happened basically every day, sitting in the car, worrying about the day ahead. Um, And I remember one drive over there, I started praying to God. I started asking him to take away my anxious feelings. I asked him to give me strength to persist. I asked him to give me wisdom to uh, navigate the meetings of the day. Uh, But then these, these negative thoughts started creeping in. Uh, 
Things like, you know, why would God care about this? He's the sovereign Lord of the universe. He's concerned with his glory and his grand mission. And, you know, why would he care about this project? This project has nothing to do with all of that. And so that was, you know, that's obviously their their discouraging thoughts in a moment like that. Um, But then this wave of realization came over me, which I think was the Holy Spirit, uh, where I started to remember that Jesus cares for his sheep. I started to remember that uh, Jesus loves me and that Jesus is not only my Lord, but he is my friend and I can come to him with any burden. Uh, He's the friend that's always ready to listen. So I started praying again. I started praying differently. Uh, just telling Jesus how I was feeling, telling him that I needed him, uh, telling him I didn't know what the answer was, but that I was thankful that he was there with me in it. Um, I started to relate to Jesus as a friend, and that gave me a lot of peace in that moment. And Jesus really is uh, the best friend that there is. He's there for you in times of suffering. Uh, He loves you even when you're behaving in totally unlovable ways. And he gives endlessly of himself, even to death. So when you share your burdens and joys with Jesus, I know that you're sharing with your dearest friend and one who understands you, one who knows you more deeply than you know yourself, uh, and one who loves you to death. Matters. It's the same reason his divinity matters, his godness, uh, because it's an essential part of the gospel. We saw that Jesus had to be God uh, in order to offer the perfect sacrifice to pay for our sin. But Jesus also had to be human because only a human can uh, truly represent us and be our substitute. That's at the core of why Jesus had to come to us in human form. It's this uh, mysterious and amazing reality that the savior of the world had to be both God and man. And that seems like an impossible combination, but God made it possible in Jesus. The theologian, uh, the American theologian Bruce Ware sums it up like this. It says, the only one who can save us from our sin is the sinless God-man. One who is fully man as we are, but one who is fully God so that his payment for our sin can satisfy the infinite demands of God's justice against our sin. So the sinless God-man, that's Jesus, our Emmanuel, in the words of the carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Emmanuel means God with us. So at Christmas, we celebrate that God is with us, that he became human to experience humanity, to be able to sympathize with us, and to be for us this sinless God-man who through his divinity and his humanity is able to save us Uh, from our sin and unite us with God. I'm going to pray and then Dan's going to lead us in communion. Lord God, we thank you uh, so much for these wonderful truths. We thank you uh, that through your divinity and through your humanity, Jesus, you can save us and you unite us with God. Thank you, Lord, that you walked among us and that you understand us deeply and that you can sympathize with our struggles. Thank you, Lord, uh, for all these things. And I pray that you would help us to treasure these great truths in our hearts. Amen.